Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 137, Don't Shred Your Game. Presented by Dev Perthkeskta. how we can find productive ways uh, productive ways to work that are good for us as creators and for our goals, not necessarily for a specific project, but how to, uh, how to work through those. Um, I think what I'd like to do is uh, begin with some general overview of bullet points of things how I think about when I'm working with feedback, and then we could sort of, maybe we could offer up challenges we're having, or if we're having them currently, or challenges we anticipate, and help each other sort of workshop like how we can work with feedback to keep going. Or also we'll talk about examples in the past where you abandoned a project where you wish you hadn't, something like that. Um, so some points, and this is, uh, uh, this thoughts on, roughly speaking, a lot of what I want to talk about is iterative design and you need to design sort of in small steps over and over again. And a lot of the advice I've collated here is just from other playtest feedback and people working in design and sort of stealing their good ideas. Um, so suppose you come from a you come from a playtest and you have a lot of challenging feedback that seems to have substantial changes in what you've done, or perhaps it um, you seem to have a lot of suggestions to do radical changes and radical rewrites. So. Um, a few ways to look at it. One is if you look at game design as an iterative process where you continue to make really small changes that 
small changes are okay or continued changes are normal part of the process. Even if there's normal changes which you could make but choose not to because your game is like already being printed or something, uh, internalizing that lots of frequent small changes are part of the process. Um, another related to that is the idea that when, there, when you hit a problem, you want to find the simplest, the simplest fix that will work for what you need. Um, this relates to a temptation where you might want to sort of open up, a, if you have something that's pretty well baked and you're tempted to open it up and explore totally new ideas, you can do that, but it's, you may want to instead consider what is the simplest fix for the specific problem. Um, something else important to consider when you're getting a bunch of feedback, uh, for each piece of feedback, take the play testers, so, and we'll, we'll try, I'll, I'll go through and call these out as we work them, you know, remember these all. Uh, when you get a bit of feedback, you should take the, that person's subjective experience seriously, but definitely just treat it as this was their, the, the thing you're treating is their experience. Uh, not necessarily that person's prescription for what's wrong or their fix. Those are maybe interesting to write down as ideas, but remember, if they say you need to turn this deck building game into a drafting game um, uh, and throw out these cards and add these cards, that seems like a big change, but the important part is not their suggestion that you need to become a drafting game. You need to hear why, what problem did you have? And they said, oh, I felt a lack of competition. Sure, I'm making this up. Yeah, I felt a lack of comp competition, so you need to change from deck building to drafting. Well, the important part is the, the first part, like, oh, you felt like there wasn't competition. And um, yeah, so that's one part. Related to that is it's a subjective experience, not every subjective problem is one that you'll have to fix. Some of them you'll find are defining like out of the scope of your uh, of what your game will do. Um, and there's also sometimes the situation at the table. A lot of these, if you want, you can press me for like examples I have of, of things. But I think paying attention as much to the conditions at the table is useful. So for example, if someone said I had a really hard time at the end of the game, but if you also recognize there's very low energy or other circumstances at the end of the game, it's still real feedback, but you need to note like, this may have happened due to these other reasons. I need to test this again instead of assuming here is a problem. But this, again, this is not to minimize. This is simply reduce that feedback to here's a problem I saw. I don't know where it came from or the fix or if it'll happen again. Um, and what else? Yeah, and then I want to sort of more fundamentally at a project level, uh, you when you get a bunch of feedback, it's important to remember you have the choice as a designer to, you don't, you're not obligated to continue in one direction or to quit if you can't continue. There's always simmering a project to let it generate more ideas or to pivot a project to something new. But very often you don't even, you could simply continue with small iterative steps. Those are a few of those principles I'm using to sort of work through. If you get, I'm saying the use case, you're getting a play test, you have a lot of challenging feedback, your temptation is to put your work into a shredder and go make something totally new, and these are steps to work through to take that feedback that could be challenging you and turn it into something useful. Um, so, I talked for a thousand hours, but um, would anyone like to offer up hard feedback they've gotten now or in the past? Or if anyone would like to warm up with putting me on the spot, you can be like, Dev, please tell us an example of your bad feedback or something. But if anyone would like to share, I'd like to hear it. Uh, sure. I. Uh in running my game, I often, it has a lot of 
uh, kind of random variables that set up the game. You know, you can have different characters you play as. You have a different monster, and the harder monsters have different special abilities. And so there's a lot of interactions between the parts. And so I generally run my tests very open. Like I don't do focus. Like I'm just testing like damage. Or I'm just trying to see if card flow is good enough. I just do an open thing. I say pick whatever you want. We'll do something. It'll be random. Uh, and fun, and because I'm trying to get at the fun, but is there a point where uh, I sometimes I come after it and I kind of go, okay, I got all these ideas, I got all this feedback from all these different aspects of the game. How do we decide, like, what, okay, is this tweak necessary? Like, we played it once and this thing happened, and maybe it was just based on random factors or a bad combination between two things. How do you, or do you try to, you know, Iterate on that. It just seems like there's so many possibilities for how, what to change. It's hard to figure out what like the primary, like how do you how do you zero in on exactly what is like the biggest most tangible flaw that you can change and improve. Okay, that's a really good question. Um, do you think you can have like do you have a more specific example of a kind of feedback that came out that seems good but you're not? Well, sure it's just about like it. every playtester often have a different play feedback, yeah. like about different aspects. They, they, they latch onto what they like and they say like this, <coughs> and a different guy might be like, I didn't like this, which is exactly what that person liked, you know. Okay. Um, and, and so yeah, because I'm, it's such an open test that it's hard to, like, in one game it might be like, oh, well, that guy had trouble because he couldn't, he took too much damage and he couldn't like play in the game. So is that a problem? Or is it just like a random occurrence that like if I play another three play tests that doesn't happen and so is it, should I yeah basically okay I mean I guess the answer is probably to test more but uh, like how do you decide when to iterate okay it kind of sounds like like a volume related question like you you don't have enough data to kind of jump to a conclusion yet um, if you were continuing to play and then you did the same iteration a few times, or at least the same test parameters, yeah. then you could kind of determine if one guy had more of a leg to stand on than the other one. You know, um, they, they do the rule of thumb where it's 100 to 100. If you want 100 people to play testing your game and 100 hours total played, um, so that you can really kind of get down to the nuts and bolts of what's going on. Because you can kind of play with bits and pieces of it, but until you actually see how everything's playing together, um, you're going to be second-guessing yourself, I think. Um, or at least that would be my interpretation. Um, what has been your experience like, I mean, without getting in, without walking about like randomized control tests and all that stuff, I mean, I mean, so I hear of this thing about 100 or 100, I mean, have you found uh, some sort of similar rule of thumb? Because, for instance, if you design, if you in your games, if you design it and you say this is the type of audience I'm designing it for, do you make sure that all your testers are that audience, or do you also allow for, you know, other type of control groups just to hear something that maybe, you know, the, the hardcore yeah. people are not going to give you, or they'll they'll see it differently. Um, well, so let me first ask: Is the hundred hundred thing is that from like the board game, board game world? Uh, yeah, mostly okay. like tabletop card that kind okay. of thing. Um, probably not, you know. Yeah, you know, like D and D RPG, but mostly you know, card and board. Um, I think related to that, um, so it's okay to know. So constraining your project is good. I could talk maybe more about that. But one constraint will be how much, how much play test time will I put in for what this is? And you can always re up by adding more. 
So in terms of like a hundred, like a hundred hours sounds great, or a hundred hundred runs. If you have like a twenty person LARP, I think it can be very skeptical. Like, will I, like, will this ever get a hundred runs in its lifetime? Sure. Uh, very legitimately. But knowing what your plate, what is your playtest budget, as it were, and it is actually, you know, I would say it's a, if if you know your but your budget of playtest is limited, then fit within that and. Um, and it, it depends on the co the time of a singular iteration. So, yeah. like, if I imagine if like you have a four-hour game, you're not going to try yeah. for a hundred game tests. Yeah, and then for anything smaller, you can actually really reach for reach for more. Yeah. And um, but so more, uh, but more specifically about how you get a lot of. Um, it's going to be kind of an open answer, which it is. But I. Um, yeah, thinking about where you're picking up play testers and uh, what their expectations are, I think it's part of what you also can note. One thing you could do in your play test is if you if you find the game is very sensitive to people's expectations, you could begin your play test with a gauge of what are people's preferences and such like, and you can find that um, will greatly impact it. And dropping uh, for so for the game that me and my my spouse kickstarted, um, uh, I think we did a solid amount of play tests. Um, Maybe only once or twice with like a totally, uh, say, an unexperienced group, but we let that be. However, with different different groups, I think Metatopia is really good. First time you drop in with people from a totally different set of experiences. Um, yeah, I think that's the best I can say is doing doing what you can, being thoughtful about where you're, where the group is coming from and their experiences. Uh, I feel like role playing games can be very sensitive to what people's experiences are. It's actually I think one challenge is that it's. Um, it's so subjective. It goes to a good game that everyone expects. Like, um, like an apocalypse world hack is their standard of good. Bringing something very different, one way or the other, from it will be challenging. Which does not mean your game is poor, but it means that it is so affected by that stuff. Um, I want to go back a bit to your saying about how to zero in on a bit of feedback. I mean, do you iterate every single playtest, or do you or not? You know, it's kind of. Um, so you, um, I think if you have a bit of information of like this, if you have a bit of information that's like this, this could be a good change. You could, I mean, you can, if you're, if it's not going to be exhausting or difficult. Sometimes there's a change where it's like, this is interesting change that would require me to change half the cards, I'm not going to do it. If it's like, I will introduce a rule differently, you could try it within two hours. So it depends on it depends on that, like what how expensive it is to try it. I sometimes might wait for like a second piece of information, like not swiveling too hard. But sometimes you know, sometimes a change clicks in with your intuitions. But if it if your problem is that you feel like you're getting more feedback that's going this way and that between different groups, it might be okay to simply take notes and see um, will this happen in a second or third game. So as an example. Um, I tried adding a new mechanic to Love Commander, which I'm going to test in a few hours, that nobody used at all. It was just like, fell, was shredded from the table, and gone. Uh, no, not shredded, that word here. But it, no one used it. But I'm in fact going to try it for at least one of my three more sessions here to just try like, third time, like, is anyone ever going to use this one mechanic? If not, they'll feel totally confident in dropping it. Uh, that said, there's another thing I tried where I replaced cards with dice, and I got such a strong signal from two, and it fit with an intuition that made sense that I went back to using uh, using dice. Uh, in that case, I could have kept on trying cards versus dice. I don't know. I could get bored and try it on the third run. But I saw, it saw such a clear signal that I was really comfortable just trying it.
to share. Is there any anecdotal, I mean, qualitative or qualitative, um, between extensive play testing and the ultimate results? I mean, you know how it is, like, you know, you'll have a Hollywood picture, right? They'll do extensive testing, it'll still bomb, yeah. or they don't do that much, and, and you know, it becomes a critical success, <coughs> or a box office bomb, or yeah. box office success and critical. It, what has been your experience in terms of where play testing can really go wrong or go well? I mean, yeah, sure. I actually am being because I'm not sure if I have like good stuff and experience on this one. I think there's always like be careful that you don't take, like you were saying earlier, like don't take every single bit of advice or criticism 100%. Like if some guy doesn't like it because it's not his thing, don't try to change your game to make it. I can throw out like an example. Um, so we play tested my game a lot, and of the uh, hundred people that played it, or however many. Um, not one person said anything about, uh, we have like a rule sheet, or a, a score sheet that you keep track of things with, and our 99th person was like, I, I wouldn't do it with a score sheet, but like with with no, if he was our first guy, and we said that, we went with it, then there's a chance that the other 99 people afterwards would have been like, this is kind of dumb, we should have gone with, and you know, a traditional score pad where you're writing down all your information instead of whatever way he was suggesting. Um, so it's one of those those tricky things where you just kind of have to find a balance, I think. Um, you have to find what works best for you because ultimately it is your game. Um, and then you also have to make sure that uh, you're not letting one person's feedback kind of topple everybody else's. <coughs> how to, you advice on how to build a successful play test because you know, this venue is great, you know, because Lots of play testers and publishers and designers and very supportive and very, you know, getting lots of critical feedback. But as we were saying, the, the audience really matters. You know, who is playing the game often really affects the kind of feedback you get to get the right kind of um, diversity and the right kind of people in the play test. Is there any advice on how to, like, so after after Metatopia, where do we go to, to do yeah. these play tests? Um, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I think the, the other ways I've gotten play tests, like if I have a friend who is a fan of the project as it stands, or like sort of, you know, a acquaintance or a friend in the hobby who's willing to play it with a group where I'm not there at all, mm -hmm. that is super valuable. Um, and sometimes those relationships will have to, like, you know, sometimes just develop naturally or sometimes they're more quick for quick. But it's also, you know, it won't be that hard to say, like, can you run this for another group? And maybe you'll run their game for a, for a group. Where the, the running a play test where you are not present to correct at all is really useful. Although you can get around that by also, also running a play test where you're present, but you're, like, making yourself not do anything but take notes. One way mirror. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, my own play test. Uh, yeah, for, for, for I still had some really good good sessions where um, my spouse, the primary designer, she like she dropped the text, she play tested it, the text by leaving it there to play and observe, but was not did not influence play um, to really see how that was going without being being wrong or facilitated directly. Um, there's also a tonight at eight. There's a designer play test event panel. Um, what types of play tests there are? 
how to start one. All it's that. our next play test is at 8 o'clock. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Got a hide a recorder somewhere <laughs> in the room. I think they are recording most of them. Uh, okay, okay, so maybe cool. after the fact, like it might be worth it to. Yeah, just look on the schedule, see. Yeah, there's a there's a podcast that has a lot of inappropriate panels on it historically, uh, which I don't listen to. <laughs> I think called Game Design Panel Podcast or something. I think obvious that's the one, to yeah, yeah. And uh, Jason Pitt, I saw it on Facebook from this video. You said to structure a good playtest. I think actually one thing. So the question of getting different diverse groups is, you know, a challenge, but perhaps doable. Um, structuring structuring the playtest though makes me think of um, literally in terms of how you what do, the structure of your playtest can actually uh, m make a lot of difference. So, um, and this has probably been hope, maybe said in other kinds of advice, but like if you have well a time to warm up and teach the rules, but also get it in basic information about your group in the beginning is useful. The Having planned out how to do your debrief at the end and make sure you have time for it. And uh, if it hasn't been said before, at the end of your playtest slot, make, sh like, make sure you have an alarm to stop you 15 minutes to a half hour for how much time you need to, um, to get feedback. And um, guiding that feedback is also important. So I'm thinking about conversations where a new game idea gets spit out and shoot, you know, like kicked around about you should, you know, turn your deck builder into a drafting game. Um, that might be useful, but if you, you know, uh, having a structure for how people get feedback in that time period can help you get better feedback that might be more, uh, more specific and subjective, because that's the useful stuff. So, are, is everyone familiar with the roses and, roses and thorns simple model, or? Okay, is, uh, and there's other ones, but imagine simply saying, beginning your, that feedback session at the, end of your, at the end of the session with, firstly, like roses, what are things everyone liked about this session, what worked, and then thorns, what are things that were harder, and focusing, focus, uh, controlling that conversation so that when someone has a problem, you make sure you get at what was the problem you subjectively had, maybe not in that word, but you want to get that experience they had, and if they offer that fix as well, that's fine, but you want to make sure you get, because the experience they had is a problem you can fix as a game designer. Um, um, yeah, so I think that's the key thing about structuring, and not quite about how do you uh, canvas for the right group of people. Um, I, I, I think if you're asking the question of how do I get a different set of people, you're already on the right road, because you start thinking about, you know, what is in, what is what has been the same of everyone I've playtested with so far, and you can start to look for what am I, what am I missing out on? If, for example, I was playtesting a card game with primarily a wargaming group, then um, there's probably then there's probably some like assumed knowledge of how things work that I'm missing out on. Uh, and that's actually useful even if you get a playtest that's rough. If a playtest is challenging because of those uh, assumptions, now you know that that's part of the game, and you could try to fix it, or you can make it part of the pitch. Um, yeah. Let me offer an example. Um, I had some so, so some play tests of a current game were challenging because some people were not ready for it. It basically always happens to sound like a loud kind of talking over each other party game, and it's fun. Uh, but people who don't like that had a bad time, and I realized it was important. Fixing it is changing that is mostly out of scope for the game, so it's moved into the pitch and description of the game, saying like this is a loud talking party game where everyone yells and laughs. Like 
and it's a good, but I recognizing that's not something I'll fix, I move that to the, to the scope of the game, to what it is. Uh, same with, yeah. So that maybe relates to audience. You might realize there are audiences for whom this game is for and just not for, and you can better, your project is better by saying it. It may not be something to fix. If you have feedback about changing the scope of your game, it might be true, it might not be true. Going back to like the, the playtesters explaining their experience rather than their fixes, kind of in with that is I had a playtest where I was working on a deck building game and players came out of it not enjoying like how injury cards worked, like there were too many of them, they did too many different things and my like that kind of broke me down a little bit because to me it was like this fundamental part of like what I was trying to do with the game but like months later I was thinking back on it I was like well their reaction might have changed if I had just made some of those mechanics simpler like and yeah that's that's a hard it's a hard question because it was like the feedback was very important the recommendations would have kind of gone out of line with my vision of what the game was supposed to be like. It wasn't giving the feeling I wanted, but that didn't mean I should like scrap that mechanic entirely. You mm -hmm. know. Yes. No, that sounds that sounds that's a that's pretty much on spot on. Because um, a playtester's feedback is not necessarily. In some sense, it's not their job, as it were, to get your like your creative goals and to go after them. Like they're sort of looking for, I mean, they're just brainstorming ideas, but and giving their feedback, their their response. But it's very legitimate to say, like, well, your fix does not serve my goals. Mm. But you, it sounds like you identified, like, well, I'm trying to accomplish something with my injury mechanic. This one seems to generate some problems. Yeah, and you kept on looking for like another way to get to that goal. I just wish I had thought that through <laughs> at the time. Okay. Yeah. Did you have a harder response, like harder reaction at the time? The time I was just like, oh okay, I don't know what I'm doing. You like put it on ice for a while, or just yeah, yeah. yeah well, first I just was like, let's change this entirely. Yeah. What I'm working on is crap. <laughs> I just, just give up. <laughs> on that, like, how do you deal with fatigue too? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times you can you're doing so many, and the, the game's changing, and you kind of forget like what direction was I going? There's all these a million things I could yeah. change about it. Which one will be first? Ah, I'm so sick of this. I just want to shred it, like, and start over on something new and simple. Like, how do you do? You, does anybody have experience with that? Like, it sounds like you got back on track eventually. Yeah. Realized. What helped you get back on track? Um, I had to find inspiration in um, something entirely new, which in my case was sort of changing the theme, like um, going with something related, but didn't have as much to do with like your character getting injured. In this case, it was changing it to kids basically in a dream world who, if they were in influenced negatively at like mess with their their card their cards but it didn't didn't have a visceral like any sort of violent feedback, you know. Would it be fair to say like by 
by putting it aside for a bit to simmer, let you find a new angle? Yeah. Okay. And I think that's an answer for So actually, fatigue is a really good phrase for it and a thing to be to check in with yourself. Um, uh, if you are feeling fatigue in your design process, that means the answer is you need to effectively rest. It would be a, whether you rest the project for a time or rest iterations. Like you can simply, you know, if you see a problem with say your with your game mechanic, but it's not impossible to keep going and you can't stand making more changes, you might say like, okay, let's try this flawed game again two, three more times and see if this sticks. But also recognize like I'm not going to be able to fix this right now. Or like for a card game, I'm going to test later. I might have realized like, oh, like the math could be slightly tweaked, uh, but I'm not going to mark up 25 cards. So I'll go for it. I'll take a note to myself, see if it repeats. But the game is, you know, the game is fine to keep going. I think fatigue is another constraint. I'm like, well, what can I put into it right now? But I'm sorry. As part of the fatigue, like I didn't grow up thinking of myself as an artist. I didn't have any artistic training, any design experience. So I maybe. I, Maybe other people also, but I, I wasn't prepared for the emotional impact of the design process. Like I just wasn't prepared mentally, emotionally for like something watching something kind of not work out for me, and that was much more fatiguing because the analytical part of me was just like, okay, there's a problem, got to fix the problem, or just work and work and work on the problem. Didn't give myself any sort of break which, since I just wasn't used to thinking of that sort of design work or like math or whatever as being emotional, I just didn't take care of myself in that way. Does that go anybody else with something similar? I haven't had the opportunity to get my, my game eviscerated by anyone yet, but uh, it happens all the time with my books, and, and that is something that you know, is it gets easier and harder. <laughs> um, it's a, it's one of those things where I mean you're always going to have some kind of feedback, whether it's negative or, or positive, um, and you just have to kind of separate the. Uh, most of the time, when someone's giving you something that you might perceive as negative feedback, um, they're not doing it to cause like any emotional damage or anything. They're they're trying to be constructive. And you just kind of have to separate it as best you can. Um, and it sounds like uh, you worked through it, and you found ways to improve on the original idea. So I would say that's actually I, that's a lot better than a lot of people get through. And you said what three months? <laughs> so that's actually that's really good. Appreciate that. You might get you know, positive or negative feedback, but it should always be constructive. You know? So you should always be craving any kind of feedback. Really. No, it's, some of it's not what you want to see, but um, yeah, going. I mean, I've, I've been in academia and business and everything. And everything's going to get criticized, you know. But if it improves the project, then then it's good. So in that regard, you'll probably find that people here are going to be super helpful, <laughs> and not they, they'll come to you from a place of being a peer. I've been, I haven't had a chance to have my design eviscerated yet, 
uh, that will be at 10 o'clock tonight. Um, <laughs> when they're tough, good and tired on Friday night. But, You've gotten a few cuts already. So. Um, <laughs> what I've tried to do coming into this process is to say, like, look, I stand behind my idea. I wanted to write a game about the Paris Commune. I'm writing a game about the Paris Commune. My feedback is turn into elves in Tolkien's Middle Earth. That's not going to fucking happen. Somebody else can do that. Yeah. <laughs> The arrangement of the material and the mechanics I use to present that material, I'm, I'm certainly looking to get feedback on. But, and it may be that I can't write the Great Paris Commune game. Some other person's going to write a game about French proto-communists getting massacred by their own government. But <laughs> you know, for now, I have what I think works, and I'll find out. The only way I can find out is to ask people and see what they like. There are some things in this game that are already. I'm just like, I don't have a best practice for this. Let's see what happens when you use it. So, so the question I was going to ask to everybody or whoever has that experience: When do you know when you're ready to stop, other than your intuitive gut feeling? <laughs> right. Yeah. When when is it time to really shred your game? Or, 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 or you know, when is it time that you've done enough testing that you're ready then to commit? Or, you know, or, to, or to publish it? Yeah, to publish. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so right. that's, that's what you meant. Or or the other, but you know, other than your gun, you know, or the face of you know, thing, but you know. If we don't answer, yeah, if we don't answer when to publish, then this becomes don't shred your game, but don't publish it either. Just yeah. keep testing it forever. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, which is not good. PhD solution. <laughs> yeah, nothing is perfect. Uh, so one idea is to try to think about your think about your constraints. Uh, and part of it, uh, maybe an idea like think of which what decade do you want to publish this game in, or <laughs> what which year. Um, and there are projects on mine where I'm like, I really wish I published that mediocre version of it two years ago, two years ago, for a certain design moment. And I'm glad I'm continuing with it, but I think um, I don't know. A bias towards getting it out isn't a bad thing. Getting it, Woodsor. Oh, sorry, a bias towards publishing in some fashion isn't a bad thing. Now, one thing is that with story games and role-playing games where the final product is a book which could or PDF, which doesn't have a certain uh, economy sure. problem, whereas like... Um, physical stuff. Physical stuff. As I say, with physical stuff, like the minimal number is 500 to 1,500, I've gathered. Units? Yeah. yeah. Or, uh, again, I'm someone who barely dipped their toe into that. Um, uh, so it becomes harder, like where just publish it, but it's like, well, is this workable enough to get 500 people to back it? Which is not impossible for anyone, but it is also like, um, there is some, there might be a constraint on your project requiring a lower threshold. Uh, but yeah, it's a good question about when to, I don't know, there's two different questions of when do you, when do you shred it and when do you publish it? Uh, I think I will say to, I mean, probably the official answer of this workshop for don't shred is to not shred it, but to talk about if, if it is stuck, Leaving it aside to simmer um, and try it again is a good way to go, and it never has to. It never has to get done if you don't want to. If you find other projects that are rewarding, uh, and they will be informed of it, their their ideas will come back up later into some future project, and almost inevitably. Um, so it's all useful work, but definitely um, switching as a reaction to fatigue is really a really important strategy. Especially if you're doing this, like you're creating a project from scratch. You don't have a timeline. You don't, you know, you didn't pre-kickstart it before you finish it, uh, or you're not doing it for a, for some other publisher. Then, yeah, it's you as a creator. You get to choose when to push through or not. As for when to publish, would anyone does it? Has anyone got to that phase or have ideas about it? Okay. No, I don't think I'm pretty new. I think 
or any, is anybody here published? Have you guys I'm published? published. I'm the only one who's on Kickstarter now, and that might yeah. not have gone very well based on. I'm I'm only on day four, but uh-huh. we're we're a far cry from the goal so far, so. It might might have been too early. I hear it's a full time full time job. Yeah. It, it is, yeah. And when you have another full time job, it's just oh, it's no, Do you mind sharing just some of the your thoughts on Kickstarter and whether you decided to do it or not do it? Or, or well, see, I have experience with much smaller projects um, on Kickstarter. Yeah, on Kickstarter, I, I did books where I was only asking for you know a much smaller fraction of how much I was asking for for this project because. Um, as far as uh, you know, in terms of scale, we needed you know twelve times as much money to fulfill a, uh, a minimum print run with uh, manufacturer in China. Um, so immediately, you you know that you need more volume of backers, sure. which is a problem when on Kickstarter there's six hundred projects in the tabletop realm, so yeah. visibility is a problem. Um, right now, even if you're sorting from any algorithm on Kickstarter, you can't find my name. So I have to find some way of making it visible to somebody else. Sure. Um, you know, I, I don't have the 800,000 Facebook friends that uh, the guy who did uh, Unstable Unicorns did. So that's a challenge that I'll have to work through as the campaign goes. We'll have to figure some okay. clever things out. Would you shred your game now? <laughs> Four yeah, days you, in. you know what? Um, so right now, the, the the idea was my brother is my partner in this, and uh, he was the one who kind of pushed and pushed and pushed to do it the way that the uh, the guys who did Boss Monster did, um, and it was a huge print run. And this was uh, like an intimate game to me; it wasn't something that had to be a big money maker or anything. So even if it fails, I might just turn around and just do a print on demand kind of run with uh, like Game Crafter or something like that. So at least. The nice thing about having a project that's kind of like your baby, it's your darling. You don't have to, you don't have to sell it out. You can still have it, you know, live on in some way. And I'm sure there's tons of people who who will like the game in the iteration that it's in, um, even if tens of thousands of people don't in the way that you expect. Uh, I think I mean Kickstarter is interesting. Then kind of example if you want to stretch it, like if you get effectively the feedback that people aren't backing it, it may be that this is just a challenging concept to get backers, but it is also as much like the tactics of how to get backers and how to run a Kickstarter are like you didn't quite catch you know, it's such a high probability thing. Um, Isn't there some thing where like projects that go up on Tuesday are better because of some sorting algorithm or something? There's something stuff like that where I definitely know it's become a science, and, and you yeah. can hire full time for you can spend a lot of money. I had a couple of guys that did his Kickstarter and, and, and killed it, and I actually know two people that killed Kickstarter campaigns. And um, you know your total cost can be as much as 25, 30 percent, especially when you hire all the consultants and all the people to give you that edge, mm-hmm. and then um, they just couldn't get traction and they just killed the campaigns. And one of them decided also to go from Kickstarter to um, not Indiegogo, but there's another one. Uh, no, there's another, I don't know. But anyway, so, you know, there's there's a lot of urban myths about it, and I'm not necessarily quite sold on it, and, but you definitely have to do a lot of work and spend, yep. um, certainly, whether it's your time or your money. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We have a successful Kickstarter for Companion's Tale. 
um, and we got a lot of help and advice, which I recommend getting a lot of help and advice. Uh, I'm, I'm still not sure what I can warrant as these are the things that worked. I mean, uh, so, I, sometime later, maybe she and I could come up, try to remember what 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 worked. Or even you know, with a certain amount of success. Did you exceed your goal? We did. Yeah. Um, it was, I believe, thirty thousand. I want to say roughly. But then it also depends, like, what is, it comes back to, like, what was your, what is your target for your game, for the amount you need to print, et cetera. But um, that is Kickstarter. Uh, it is another complicated, another complicated thing. Yeah, and social media, have a Twitter for your company. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, tweet like everybody in the world loves your game and it's amazing. You know, a couple of those people will be like, hey, this is, this is amazing. Yeah, you have to be sales. You have to be on people's butts <laughs> all day, every day. And for some people, that's not... Sure. Yeah. That's so why they have all these consultants. Yeah. Let's talk about when to... So when to publish. Um, so let's say, like, what is the point you're like, I will start thinking, I'll switch my thinking from does this game work, to like, how do I make a Kickstarter successful? Uh, in terms of playtest, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be that I'm not getting any negative feedback. But it doesn't be that you're, if you think you've learned, A, you used up your time budget, B, if you've learned everything you want to learn. There's certainly some some designs where new feedback keeps getting folded in. It's like, oh, that makes sense, but if I change this wording, the game is fine. Or this makes sense, but I need to tweak the pitch so people know what the game is for them. The more feedback that bounces off, or you can't, or ultimately you just can't find a place to fit in, your game might be, it has become what it'll be, and you won't change it more. Um, like at some point somebody play tested Vampire the Masquerade and suggested can I play this with non-vampires and they were like I don't think so like, so eventually if I came in early on maybe it would have been part of it but eventually you're solid enough not flawless but you're like the game has a certain mass it's a critical mass of what it wants to be and it doesn't want to change the law of diminishing returns that's, yes that's totally yeah. and then you've totally got you know years of expansion content Here's <laughs> what expansion content. Yes, yeah, exactly. Game evergreen. Mage. Vampire, <laughs> vampire, the masquerade. Colon, not vampires. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, someone said it in the last panel. Munchkin uh, just did uh, Shakespeare, so sure. this is like their thirty-first iteration. It is, yeah. So, and I think they've got another one on Kickstarter right now that's like sci-fi based on everything like that. So, they 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 found something works. I have a, a totally different. Yeah topic. Um, so I lived in New York for a long time and I had a gaming community there and I playtested games with them and they were very like very focused on the playtest. They were very, for lack of a better, very good at playtesting. Then I moved back to Portland and my group of playtesters there were just sort of very dismal for whatever reason, like just across Sorry. the board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it wasn't necessarily that the, like it was demotivating, but mm -hmm. I, I guess my question is just, how do you know if you have gotten the feedback that you want? Like, how do you know that you have gotten feedback that is accurate if you, like in my case, have experience getting a, just a different mood to it? Or maybe just focusing on finding gaming communities that are strong in the optimism, maybe? I mean, I'd love to get more of a read on what 
Well, the I'm, specific. I'm curious what like how which failure condition of dismal like is happening. But, um, Lots of wanting to like own own the product project themselves and trying okay. to make it what they wanted. Mm. Sounds yeah. like you just need a new group. Yeah. Um, you might look into uh, like meetup groups because um, a lot of them, um, just based on the nature of what they are, um, they want to kind of bring positivity. You know, they, they want people to sh show up, so they're not going to try and push you away by being like, nah, this idea sucks. Uh, not everyone who's a good player is a good play tester, and even in a moment, like even at a given on one day, someone may not have brought their good play tester, and some people never have that day. <laughs> but uh, uh, and that can be okay. I mean, the challenge of how do you recruit a group from scratch is uh, it's still it's still challenging. Yeah. Like and I think you're in a great place. You sure. know, like there are people. Everybody here might be excited to play test your game. You tell them about it, and they're like, "That sounds cool." Be like, "Well, if you ever feel like running a play test of it, I'll send you the PDF or whatever." Uh, I'm sure this is the way to go. confident that those groups are out there. Oh I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's people who want you to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. When you talk about like external play tests, if you're like really tr trusting someone, who, or I think trust is a bit too uh, dramatic, but just trying to give the game to somebody else to run. Um, some expectations is that um, a you if you give it if you give your game to five to ten people, one of them might probably one of them will run it. Expect some ratio like that and to not take it personally. It's just that people. Probably have, in, yeah. People probably have more games to run than they have nights when people aren't canceling for reasons of sick cats and whatnot. Um, and that's okay. That's just part of it. That's part of why you offer it to a bunch of people, and one of them will bite. And making it as simple as possible. Like, okay, I've, here's the things to do. You just print this, write, read this sheet first, and text me any questions to make it as simple as possible. For finding some external group. As for finding a better group, I'm not sure if I can really uh, offer help, but how to recruit that better group, but it is okay to say some group of people is not your playtest group. It's also a singular, a same group that playtests a bunch of stuff. Um, it's good for some kinds of testing. People talk about playstorming, where you're like designing as you go and things are rough. If you find a group of people you can kind of jam with, then it works, but that's not quite a playtest. Having different groups to try with can be good. But this is this is all a challenge. This is all a challenge. Um, certainly figuring out how your game can run online um, can also make that easier while adding some other costs and challenges. Not all games run online. Um, if you have, if yours is more of a, if it has a card component or things like that, you have to figure out how are you going to emulate that while being online. And there's tools, but now you have something else to worry about. Okay. Uh, being open to those things ha helps you with that problem. And I'll grant, like I've I live in the New York area, and before that, I lived in the Boston area. So I've had pretty like rich networks at the time for for filling my for for filling play tests. But it, it is doable, especially with more people who are like online and wanting to play. And uh, I'd say trying to organize an online game can also be have a lot of hit or misses in terms of timing. But just throwing it out there will eventually it will eventually land. But I think it's useful to identify as you did like. This group isn't gelling with this game to be maximally charitable and not press for it. But like, um, but that will happen anywhere. I think I want to say we talk about it like Minotopia's community is really great. Um, it's this the same kind of uh, 
you still can have neg- you can still have negativity even from very good good people. Um, so like even if you get feedback, if you get feedback that's challenging here, do write it down. But you don't have to take it uh, uh, even if it's from like a guest monitor or something. You don't have to take it as like verbatim necessarily uh, what you have to do next. It's a signal that as a designer, it's your job to like process. But, um, so even even here, even as positive as everything else. You can still use your judgment. Um, yeah. Actually, one anti-pattern I see at Metatopia um, is people who are engaging with your idea positively, they will, sh- or even like a good constructive critique, will demonstrate it by offering ideas of what to do differently. And it's because, and it's almost it's impossible to not do. I will do it all the time. It's hard. Be careful to not take it too much. It's like, I have to do this now. I have to take the next two hours to rewrite my thing as a deck builder. I was going to jokingly say, like, I was engaging with your Paris Commune game, and I was like, I, also, I obviously want to be like, oh, but actually, make it a deck builder of, of Paris, which sounds horrible. But, and, but I'm engaging. I'm like, hey, that's a good pitch. Like, that should happen. Like, but the only real signal is Deb was interested in that idea, yeah. not necessarily that's, that it's time to rewrite it. So I'm modeling this anti-pattern. You'll see it. Take it in stride. <laughs> Sure, he yelled at John and Adams to uh, put, modif- put make sure he has some ability modifiers in normal. <laughs> but he sort of did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any other questions or any other uh, anything people would like anything people would like to know that might help them for a playtest they have this weekend coming up? I can't talk about it yet. Well, the one takeaway that I like um, is the idea of either doing a know, behind the one-way mirror, or just like giving it to someone and just not being there at all. Because I think you know, we're always wanting to engage and mm-hmm. participate in it, and I think that's wonderful. But it's like the real test is just putting it out there and then yeah. walking away, and watching. That. Yeah, especially if you have like a decent amount of rules and you're trying to figure out whether or not they jive well with like a person who's not familiar with the game. Right. Yeah. Um, anything for, 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 for play tests.